And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Culture Calculus. As usual, I'm Kavitha Davidson, joined by my co-host Jason Jones, Sacramento Kings beat writer for The Athletic. And we're very happy to welcome, all the way from Tokyo, Joe Varden, who is covering the Olympics for us. Joe, how are things in Japan? Oh, it's a blur. It's a blur. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask me what time it is because I don't know. Um, How have things been with all the travel restrictions, the COVID protocols? Just paint a picture for what it's like on the ground during these very bizarre Olympic Games. Well, what I can tell you is is that I have been a very disappointing phone call and text to all my cousins. I have a bunch of cousins on my dad's side and they all have been very supportive. They they're so excited that I'm at the Olympics and they, they text me, you know, were you there for this? Like, how's that? What are you seeing here? What are you doing there? And I'm disappointing them because like this Olympic experience is nothing at all, nothing remotely close at all to what you would see on TV or what you were, what you would imagine or what you have heard might be the case in the past. Um, you know, be, because of the pandemic, which is, you know, they're, they're very unhappy in Japan with, with uh, how it's going here in terms of the spread of the virus, which I can talk about in a minute, but they're very unhappy about it. Um, the protocols are very strict uh, for, the, for the Olympic Games. And so, um, and everything's very, very much spread out. So, um, like the the great moments that you're seeing like on TV, like with the, the Australian swim coach going nuts because his girl beat Katie Ledecky, like like I wasn't there for that. Or mm-hmm. or the um you know, the snafu at the triathlon. Like I would never have been I would never see that. Um, you know, I'm here at the Olympics to cover a few individual sports and you have to sign up in advance to get in anywhere. And so like th- that is what I'm doing. Um, but the problem with that is in, also in large part because of these protocols, you have to take this bus system to get anywhere that you want to go. Mm-hmm. So you get on a bus at your hotel, but the buses don't go to the events. The bus goes to a media center, which is downtown. Then you have to go get on another bus that takes you out to where you want to go. And unfortunately, the basketball arena is in Saitama, Japan, which is you know, I haven't done the math yet on the miles, but it is an hour northwest of the city. So it's a half hour for me to, to get on a bus to go to the media center and then another hour to get up to basketball. So that's 90 minutes one way just getting there. Um, and then when you get there, of course, there's no, there are no fans. Um, because there are no fans, there's no merchandise uh, or anything fun like that. There are no concessions. Um, you know, my dinners the last two nights covering basketball has been uh, bags, popcorn, and these fun little um, chocolate granola cookies that they have. And uh, that's, that's been about the extent of it. So you can't leave your room uh, unless you're going to work for the first 14 days. Uh, and I'll be in country, I think, 17 or 18 days. So um, at the end of the trip, it won't be totally lost. I will get to see a little bit of Tokyo, but not until the very end. Um, you know, we were talking off air, but I think it's worth saying, like, I'm staying at this, um, at this re- not a bad hotel, it's, but it's on Tokyo Bay. And the bay is maybe, I don't know, 150 yards from my, from my window. And it's beautiful. And there's this lined running path that goes the length of the bay, like as far as the eye can see, it's covered in trees. It's so, it looks so serene. And I am not permitted to go anywhere near it. Uh, However, there is a two treadmill workout room in this hotel that you are supposed to use. So you tell me what's safer, 
between uh, running next to somebody in a poorly ventilated small room or going outside to run along the water. I don't know, but that's what we've got. So the workout room is just two treadmills. That's it. <laughs> well, it's actually to be perfectly uh, clear on this, Jason, it is one treadmill, one elliptical and, and one of those recumbent bikes. Hmm. Well, obviously it's a good thing that there are COVID protocols in place. Like you said, Japan itself is not happy about these games being there. Um, how big are the protests that you've seen there? And do you think that what we've seen on TV here, th is the media downplaying just how unhappy the Japanese populace is with these games? Well, so first of all, I haven't seen any protests. I know, I know, that, there, I know that that happened. Um, I haven't seen anything outside of the basketball arena. Um, so, but I, but I, know it's, I know it's there. I am also like, you know, I've read all the public opinion polls and everything coming up to the games, and you know that these things aren't popular. Um, however, I can just tell you that, that the, the Japanese people who are working at these hotels or, or the, hunt, the thousands of volunteers that are working um, at the various venues, like to, to a person, they have been just absolutely fantastic. Uh, so hospitable, courteous. Um, generous and and certainly their attitude, their outward attitude and hospitality uh, does not reflect any um, inward animosity they may have about these games. Um, you know, I think every day they give us a, a report of how many new cases there are, and I think yesterday was something like sixteen hundred. And if you think about it, Tokyo is a city of thirteen million people, and it, at its core, it's cramped. But then as you start getting out further into the prefecture, you know, it starts to, to widen out a bit. We're talking about 13 million people, 1,600 new cases a day, and this is a very, very big problem here. And then I think about where I live, Ohio, where there's an 11 and a half, 11 and a half million people. And when we got down to 1,500 cases a day, I think our governor had like a party over it or like some kind of celebration there was a mission accomplished banner or something like I, that right? i think i think yes i think <laughs> you're exactly right and so it's just kind of funny to me like just the different attitudes about this like the you know the level of panic and concern over 1600 cases where like having gone through what we went through in america for all that time um it just doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal right well, we're here to talk mostly about basketball. It's obviously been a little bit of a fraught start to Team oh. USA men's uh, international play, shall we say. Uh, obviously, the it's USA men just... Now. <laughs> hey, I mean, the world's caught up. Why is everyone overreacting? Well, well, so are we overreacting? I mean, Evan Fournier doesn't go off on teams like that every time in the NBA. I mean, come on. Well, first of all, Evan Fournier owns Team USA because he's done this in two consecutive games. He did it in the World Cup, and then he did it Sunday night here in, in, in Japan with, uh, with 28. Um, he just – he does. He plays like a superhero. You know, but, but, I mean, this is something that we're still trying to figure out because, yes, the rest of the world has caught up. You know, if you look at Australia, they have like five or six NBA guys – and so a couple of them are pretty good. If you look at France, they have Rudy Gobert. I mean, he's as good of a player in the NBA as we have for what he does. Um, and then they have Evan Fournier, who's really good. And, uh, you know, you can kind of go on down the line. You know, Slovenia, who I saw today, has Luka Doncic, who is just straight up one of the very best players in the world. And they annihilated Argentina. So, so yes, yes, the game has – there's been a proliferation of basketball – it's global. There are great players all over the place. We haven't even mentioned Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's not in the Olympics this year, two-time MVP, not American, wouldn't play for Team USA. So all that is right. But time and again, the players on this USA team are saying, we are the best players in the world. We are the best players in the world. And if that's true, fine. But it doesn't translate anymore. And I think there is some frustration internally as to why this is. Um, for the first time since I've been covering this team, which is two full summers, you know, I heard Pop rip his players. He, uh, he was talking about late game execution, which has been a problem every time they lose. He said what was wrong. He said those are player mistakes. Um, I've never heard him say something like that before on Team USA. 
And then I also yeah, you never really hear Pop talk about his players that way at all, right? No, I mean, and and like, it's funny because like gruff, like kind of old, like throwback coaches or or managers in baseball, like they can be hard on their guys, but in the media, they never rip their players. Like they they never want to rip their players. Mm -hmm. So that was that was strange. But then also, you know, like I I was in the tunnel watching the Americans go back to the locker room after they lost and the players were upset and there were complaints about the style of offense that they were running. And I don't want to say who it was. Uh, I don't want to out them. You know, it's kind of an awkward stance to be where I was watching them, but I heard it and they're, you know, like they were expressing frustration about the way things are being run. So there's some finger pointing going on. And this is just, I mean, it's a recipe for problems um, in a tournament where, you know, they, they already have shown to, to be having some trouble. Well, yeah, you wrote that you heard rumblings of frustrations at, quote, running the San Antonio offense. What, what did mm-hmm. you mean by that? What did, you, what did the, the person who said that mean by that? Well, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you know, as Jason would, would, would say, like, they, they have Dame Lillard and Kevin Durant and, you know, Devin Booker, who I know just got off a plane, and, and Chris Milton. I mean, they, they, have, they have a bunch of guys who can fill it up. And they scored 76 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that's, that's ridiculous. And, and so they're, they're going back to the locker room. They're embarrassed. They're pissed. And, you know, one guy says to the other one, like, basically, we scored 76 points and nobody can get off because we're running this kind of like throwback old school offense and it's limiting our ability to put the ball in the hole. And that's just crazy to think about because a lot of the guys who play for pop talk about what a player's coach he is. And it just seems like there should be, maybe it hasn't been enough time. Do you think that guys just need more time to get used to pop? I mean, you didn't have last summer all the way. So how do you even work on that? Yeah. I'm wondering uh, about that like uh, like he's um you know he is supposed to be so relatable and he i mean there's decades worth of stories with some of the great players in nba history about being able to relate to pop and, and how he reaches you in these like team dinners where there's wine soaked meals and 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 you know they stretch into the wee hours of the morning and for one they can't really do that here um but but also there is a discussion about if his if if he is having trouble relating to some of the younger players. Now, on the flip side of that is this is not exactly a a chicken little team. I mean, you know, KD is is thirty one. Dame just turned thirty. Um, you know, Draymond I think is thirty two. You know, so so they're not they're not necessarily all that young. But, but there, there is no, what we can definitely say is there is some kind of disconnect between either the staff and the players or the current iteration of Team USA and the history because, you know, they just had a 25-game win streak snapped in the Olympics last night. And they are one in they've, – they've lost three out of the last four games that count. And they've lost three out of five, or they, uh, they've, yeah, yeah, they've lost three out of five this month, um, counting Vegas, and they've lost like five out of eight going back to um, the middle of the, of the World Cup. So they are on a downslide like we have never seen before with NBA players on their roster, and there's obviously a reason why, and I don't think it's simply, oh, the rest of the world is better. Was there something every time – we have a team USA like slump. We talk about Mm. chemistry and the fact that these guys don't have a ton of time to play together before it actually hits competition. How much stock is there in that? And then I've also seen some postulation on, on Twitter about how international refereeing allows defenses to play harder than NBA refereeing does. Do you think there's any stock in that? Well, Kavitha, I think these are really good points, and they're they're worth they're really good points that on on one level may be true, and then on another level may be kind of like false fronts. Mm. Um, I think the officiating thing is right. Uh, I really do. It is a different game, and um, because Team USA 
has such dramatic turnover every year. Like there's only two guys on this team that played on the 19 team in China. And then there are two different guys who were, who are on this team that played in, in, at the 16 Olympics. Whereas like, for instance, the team USA women have like seven women from the last world cup. And I think six from the last Olympics. And that's just in America. I mean, if you talk about some of these other men's national teams, They've got even better uh, consistency. So if you're not used to the rules and you're not used to the officiating and then you get out there and you don't know the rules and you don't know how hard you can play, um, that does put you at a disadvantage. The chemistry thing, you know, I, I actually really think that that is overblown. Um, for one, that's, that shouldn't be the problem now mm -hmm. for this team. If you want to say, oh, we lost to Nigeria because – we're brand new and we just started a week ago. Okay, I guess. But you, you can't say that now. You've had two full weeks of training camp. Draymond Green and Kevin Durant won two titles together, went to three finals together. Um, you know, you've just added Drew Holiday and, and Chris Middleton. They obviously know each other very well. Um, you know, these guys have played all-star games together. And, and like they say, they're the best players in the world. They know how to play. This wasn't a problem when Kobe Bryant, LeBron James were on the team, um, when KD and Kyrie and those guys were on the 16 team. It wasn't an issue. So it should be – you should be able to overcome, overcome that. And you got to look no further than, I think, the Slovenians who are literally playing in their first Olympics. They've never been to the Olympics before, and they just tore Argentina to shreds today. So I, I do feel like this chemistry thing is a, is a crutch. So even, you know, with the uh, late roster changes, uh, JaVale McGee, yeah. you know, Keldon, you just think all of that, those are maybe just minor parts. To, and you talk about the bigger picture of chemistry and that, I mean, you said you got KD. I would, I would think if you've got KD, Dame, Drew, and those guys, even without a lot of practice, I mean, who in the world should be able to slow down KD and Dame if they want to get going, even with some rule changes? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I do think, um, you, you know, losing Bradley Beal was a blow. Uh, that, that was a huge blow. Not so much from chemistry issues, but just like you're talking about a guy who can score 30 a game and he's bulky, he could defend a little on the perimeter. Um, so that, that, that was no good. Uh, and then they made a, 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 a tactical error. Uh, in roster construction by putting Kevin Love on there. And the, the, the explanation at the time seemed sound. It was, oh, we're going to play France in game one. Rudy Gobert stands there, so we need a, a floor-spacing center who can shoot and make Rudy get out of the lane, which, I, again, I guess that was a plausible explanation. But if they didn't know how limited Kevin was at this stage of his career and how like he's basically stuck in cement, then that's on them, and it really set them back. Um, I was say, but, it's a really know, diplomatic way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I know, I, I know. Um, but but I was having this thought today, watching Luca score forty eight in a game, mm -hmm. and he looks, he played just like he does when he plays for the Mavericks, and and the guys on Team USA obviously don't feel like they can do that, and I wonder if they need to have like a twenty. 12 uh, Miami Heat moment where there's these three stars and they don't quite know how to play together still. And then finally, Dwayne says to LeBron, listen, it's your team now. I am going to take a step back. I am going to be the wingman, the ancillary guy. You are the one who has to drive this bus. And they won two titles doing that. Um, like in this scenario, like, you know, even though, that they have experience either deep in the playoffs or playing on super teams or a couple of them have been Olympians. Like they are kind of standing around staring at each other, like trying to pass the ball to find the right shot instead of going and getting the shot that they know they can get. And I'm wondering if there has to be a discussion amongst some of their better scores to say, okay, you know, either Dame, this is your show or Katie, this is your show. And the rest of us are going to play to your strengths because this idea where everybody kind of has to fit and play an equal role hasn't worked. 76 points is unacceptable for this team. 
Yeah, what did you see from Luca? Have to be KD though. I mean, you was. I mean, just what a month or so ago, we were saying people were saying he's the best player in the world. He's taken the title from LeBron. Mm-hmm. That guy should be KD, and then everyone would recognize that it should be KD. Well, you would think, but he he hasn't been very good. He he hasn't been very good at all um, in these couple weeks. You know, dating back to the start of training camp, um, Dame has been okay. But, but Kevin's really kind of struggled to shoot, and he just really – he's not playing at the speed, um, sort of the level that he played in that last series there with Brooklyn against the Milwaukee. And um, so, yeah, you would think that would be the case. Like, he, he's on the verge, statistically, of becoming the greatest uh, Olympic basketball player in, in Team USA's history. Um, but he's not there quite yet, and and yeah, like I I don't know what his deal is, so I think it should be him. But I but he's got to play back. You know, we've got three guys in Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and Devin Booker who just mm-hmm. played in an intense NBA final series. Just flew a few days after that series ended to Japan. Have you noticed any kind of like hangover effect? And uh, you know, I don't mean in a PJ Tucker sense. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, yeah, we, who are we to, to, uh, to discuss hangovers in a negative light? Um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, for sure. And, and like, I think the biggest one, well, like, I think I should say it this way. Chris Middleton barely played and he barely played because he didn't look very good. And Devin was out there for 18 minutes, but he was one of six. Um, clearly, you know, not in the finals rhythm where he led the Suns with like 28 and a half a game. Um, Drew looked good. He, he played really well. He was the team's leading point man and assist man coming off the bench. Um, but I like, so whereas like the on-court hangover was obvious for those other two guys. Mm-hmm. With Drew Holiday, he, what was so clear to me was is that he just came from this highly functioning you know, well-oiled, uh, like resilient team that overcame adversity and stuck it out in some tough playoff series and, and came back from 02 to win the finals. So it's like really good group, right? And he flies overseas and he gets dropped into this like boiling cauldron of dysfunction. And he's, you know, people are asking him like, well, what's wrong? When is this going to be fixed? And he's like, yo, it's my first day. Like, it's literally my first day. I don't know. And I, so I thought, like, he had, like, an emotional hangover. Hmm. Let's talk about Luca. Luca obviously hmm. went off 48 points, tied for the second most points in an Olympic game, I think. Um, and you said Luca basically played his game. He played the game that he plays when he's with the Mavs. Um, is that a function of the fact that that game is informed so much by his international experience? I think you're right, Kavitha. I think you are. Like, I, my first thought was like, oh, he is, um, he's surrounded by role players. Like, he is in Dallas, and like, there's nobody on Slovenia who's going to get in his way. So he he has like the room to run. But I, I don't know if that is that is being as fair to his game as we should be. And I think your point is better, which is. Um, he was raised on this game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like the, the contact that you get is not going to bother him. And he can also get around that contact with his step back three. Um, and he's also so big that he can like just kind of plod his way into the lane and, and push you aside. And he's not going to get called for a charge or a hook on it. So I think you're right. I, I think that, yeah, I think his upbringing and his experience at a young age on the national level, um, pays huge dividends, not only in the NBA, but certainly uh, in, in these large-scale international competitions as well. And does that just give more credence to the level of play internationally? I know even when he was coming into the draft, there were some people who said, well, you know what, that level of competition isn't as good as, say, as you know, NCAA Division One basketball. But we've seen him and some other guys come over and just – their games trans like like Luca's game translated immediately when some people thought that his ceiling would be twenty points a game. So, how how does how much credence does that give to the level of competition that we see over there now? 
Well, I think it does. I think the other thing, though, and this this goes back to Steph Curry. You know, Steph changed our game in the NBA. We we thought, and and certainly the American game, with the with the three pointer, and 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 changed how we view that shot and how often we take it, um, and then how many players are good at it, and what that does to the outcome of any one game. Well, that happened overseas too, and probably because of Steph, but. So now you have these guards who play for France and they play for Spain and they play for Italy. Um, even some of the guys that, that are backing up Luca, like they're not NBA players, but they can shoot threes. And that, that, that matters like that, that has like kind of allowed um, the shrinking, the leveling of a playing field, if you will, that, that more people are better at a shot that's worth more than a closer shot. And so, you know, it, it doesn't matter as much like how good you are with your handle and how you can get to the rim, how many shots you can block, whatever. If you can stand out there and shoot threes, like you can be a little bit less athletic and not be making what you make in the NBA and still be competitive. And, I, and we're definitely seeing it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Where do you think the biggest threats to the U.S. come from? Slovenia, as you said, is in their first ever Olympics. I mean, is it the usual players? Is it Spain, Argentina, Australia? Where do, who do you think is going to be the biggest roadblock for the U.S. to gold? Well, I think it starts with France. Um, France and Australia. I mean, those are two teams. This, this is another one. Never, ever happened before. The Americans have two-game losing streaks. To two different teams, mm-hmm. France and Australia. And those rosters are largely the same from the, the last World Cup. So I think you start there. Spain is a little older, a little slower. Um, Argentina really has kind of, I think, you know, like they've kept the same team forever. And, and I think they're really starting to show their age. Um, I'm a believer in Slovenia because of Luka Doncic. He has shown night after night in the NBA that he can get hot like that and beat you on his own. I'm, I certainly think he could do that here. Um, you know, so I'm looking at I'm looking at those teams. I think is the main ones. But like, look, I, I mean, the Americans got beat by Nigeria, um, and and they gave up 23s in that game. So if we get Saturday night and Tomas Sadoransky like plays like a hero and, and he and, and some of the other Czech guards are shooting threes. We could be going home. Like <laughs> there is no, well, okay. The, the Americans play Iran on, on Wednesday and that's a gimme. But other than that, there's no gimmies in this tournament. Yeah, Joe, I want to ask you a little bit just about kind of the job of covering team USA. You've had a couple of interesting interactions on, one of them I want to ask you about with JaVale, because even my reaction was, what the hell was that? But <laughs> <laughs> I want to start with just dealing with Pop on a day-to-day basis. I mean, all of us who have covered the NBA, I think all of us have had at least one awkward Popovich moment when you ask him something, he gives you this crazy ins- – I know I had one early in my days where I'm like, what the hell did I just do? Because he just looked at me like, what do you want? But what's it like just dealing with him and having those post-game, you know, exchanges? I know Kendrick Perkins went on TV and even was like, you know, Popovich was disrespectful to Joe Varden and he didn't have to be <laughs> that way. 
So, so what's it like dealing with pop on a, you know, on a regular basis now? Well, I mean, it's the job for one. And so however it is, like, it's, it's my job to just deal with it and, and get what I need to get and, and ask the questions that need to be asked. And so that's how it's going to be. Um, you know, he, he is not, he is not someone that you're going to develop a rapport with, which um, th- there are numerous other coaches and successful coaches in the league that that is the case. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of Steve Kerr, who's on his bench for one. Um, that, like that is not uh, something that, that pop seeks. Um, he, you know, I, I don't know if moody is the word or ornery or <laughs> if he does this on purpose or whatever it is, but there can be times where he's very insightful in these, in these sessions. And there are times when he is King Tankerous. Um, there can also be times where he is like looking to test you. Like we've, there's a number of us who've been on this beat for a while who like say like, well, if, if you ask Popovich a softball question, he's going to come hard at you. And if you go hard at him, he'll back off. Um, there, there are any number of, of, of theories to this. Um, I, you know, you're, you're kind of like nibbling around the edges of an exchange that we had that, that uh, was shown a bunch on TV. Um, that, that night, I asked Damian Lillard a question. <laughs> the, the question was not to Greg and, uh, and Dame gave a very fair and sound and solid answer to it. And then Popovich was going to use, like he was using that opportunity to come, uh, of the question itself, come in and he was, I think like, I, I mean, you know, my interpretation would be, he was going to try to lecture me. Um, but what he was saying is just not true. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's pretending that the USA doesn't have this like rich history of consecutive winning, uh, the big winning streaks and, and average margins of victory in the thirties. And, you know, that they didn't like that they didn't win the 2016 gold medal game by 30 points. And, and he's doing this to kind of, you know, spin it forward that, that, um, that all these games are going to be tight. And so that that's an explanation for why they lose. You know, and he also does want his players to respect these other teams. So he was coming to me. He was going to lecture me about my line of questioning, but what he was saying was not true. And so I, I was reciting the facts to him, and he just and you couldn't hear that on the microphone. Um, and he kept, he just kept saying, "Can I finish? Can I finish?" But you know, since that happened, um, I mean, our our interactions have been okay. I mean, he got me once. Um, you know, a couple like, uh, with a, like, a I don't know what you're talking about, um, response to a question, but you know, by and large to me, like since that point, it's been fine. You know, he was, he was testy with, um, one of the guys from San Antonio who flew halfway around the world, the other, uh, to, to cover him here in Tokyo. And he was like that with him last night. So it's anybody. Yeah, I think we've all had our pop gotcha moment, and you are in some cases you're the question after the question that put him in that that bad mood, and you're just like, uh, never mind. It's <laughs> 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 like I, I forgot what I was going to ask. It's like next question, then he's like glared. It's like, uh, I had something. Then you know what, pop, it's fine. It's fine. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't need it. And the second one to ask you, like I said, uh, you and Javale McGee. I've now seen the longer version, but. The clip that came out was you asking him, you know, is your mom still with us? And yeah, and like I said, you know, I'm a West Coast guy. Pam's mom, Pam McGee, one of the best players ever. And my reaction was, first, I didn't know it was you until so someone called me. Was like, "Yo, you're tweeting about Joe." I'm like, because I, I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah, you want to? Can you explain to us kind of the 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 before part? That, that I've heard and after because it just came out as this man just asked this man was his mama alive and right. you can you can Google Pam McGee so <laughs> the floor yeah. is yours yeah no I mean like um, for for me like it was pretty straightforward and I mean it happened several days ago and and like nobody said anything and I didn't even think anything of it. Um, I was, I was in a place with, with pretty terrible, uh, <laughs> internet 
to the point where actually you can hear on the end of that Zoom, you can hear me say to Craig Miller, the Team USA um, spokesman, hey, can you email us the sound immediately because my, my connection was terrible. So I, I didn't really have the internet access to um, be on Zoom and also be Googling stuff fast in real time like at that moment. Um, I uh, was in the queue to ask uh, JaVale a question and um, I was well aware uh, that his mother was a past um, a Olympian and gold medal winner in 1984. Um, and I knew that she was a WNBA star, um, but I'm not very big on social media. Um, I don't like follow like parents of players or siblings or wives or whatever. Um, so I wasn't aware of that. And like, I hadn't, I wasn't sure about like what she had been up to since she retired. Um, and I've lost a parent, you know, I'm a few years older than JaVale. Um, but I was about as old as he is now when I lost my parent. And, um, it's a sad day for me when somebody brings, brings up my dad and didn't know what happened to him. Um, and so <laughs> it's funny, like I'm sitting there on zoom like in real time, like, Oh shit, is he is like, is his mom still alive? Like I want to ask him about what the conversation was like, uh, talking to her about, um, becoming an Olympian, but what if something happened to her and I don't know? Um, I like, I, especially on a zoom, I don't want to say something that would make him feel bad. Um, like that and bring up something that's, that's really sad and I'm not, I'm unaware. So, you know, being a journalist, I just wanted to ask him first, like, Hey, is she, is she still with us? You know, because, and then like you said, like you've seen the longer clip now because I want to ask you about this. Well, you know, JaVale, like before I said the second part of the question, he reacted the way he did. Um, but then, as you see, he gave a fine answer uh, to my second to to the to the real question, um, and you know we moved on. And then I don't know what happened on Saturday. Somehow, I guess it went viral. Like I I don't look at men. Like I don't really have my mentions on, um, so I don't I didn't I don't see them. But I I can guess that the that <laughs> there was uh, some kind of you know the, the, a shorter clip was sent out and. Um, you know, I knew it was I knew that it had made the rounds because uh, I had gotten a couple of hateful emails, and I'm like, gee, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm doing this because you know I had lost a parent, and I know what that's like, and I just didn't want to ask him about something like this without knowing. But um, you know, I, I I wish that wouldn't happen. That's for sure. And this also reminds me of just how different the environment is within you know the Zoom media era era. There's a lot of things you might ask a guy on the side to get clarification that you may not necessarily ask on camera. And That's right. we don't really have that right now. I mean, I've had situations where I'll be like, oh man, he's talking about his grand, you know, he's talking about someone. Let me just check and make sure I got that part right. But now right. we're all forced to ask those questions. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's, right, it's, right it's, on camera for everyone to hear. It's performative in a way that it shouldn't be. Well, that's, that's true. But then also like what Jason's saying is also right is like for years, I mean, we've all been doing this job for years and years. I mean, I'm, I've been in the NBA for seven or eight years and a journalist for 20. Um, and for the, for the first 18 years of that, like there are questions that you ask off to the side and out of a press conference setting to get clarification maybe to, um, to become personal, like asking a personal question that, you know, you can immediately clarify if you have to. Um, but in zoom, like you don't get that chance, like, because there's a zoom, there isn't also a time later to follow up or to, to, to speak privately. And so, you know, you have to make that decision. Are you going to continue to ask the questions that you feel you need to ask? Um, and, and this one, I mean, like, as you guys can see, like, that wasn't me being hard hitting. I, I was just trying to get a little clarification before I asked him something else, but on a broader level, like, yeah, is, has it become performative? And then like the art of getting of, of, of the art of the interview occasionally can be ugly. 
Um, and it can be uh, imperfect. And now it's on camera, and then you have people who can, who've never done it a day in their life, never once, who can uh, then get on social media and make fun of you and, and turn you into a thing when it's just, it's been part of the job for a hundred years. Well, yeah. And by performative, I, like in no way did I mean on the reporter's part. I just no, mean that everything right. is like literally on camera. Um, you know, these kind of side questions that you ask for, um, for clarification then become the question. They become the clip. That's, that's right. That's right. And that's like, we're not trying to be, um, you know, I mean, like, like based on some of the emails I've heard and, uh, and just things, and, and I've seen like things like that, like, like the, the, the suggestion um, that I would have had like some kind of malice or like ill attempts or just anything untoward to, towards like their family is, is just uh, like, I don't even know what to say to that, but you've got this, like this culture on, on Twitter now where, um, you know, you take a truncated clip, and you turn it into that and, and, and that becomes a narrative. And then it gets so big that you can't even really go out there and say, well, wait a minute, that's not actually what happened. And, and you can then even present them with the large, longer clip, which you had seen Jason and, <laughs> and it still doesn't matter. So um, yeah, that, that, that was not supposed to, that's not how like the question and answers were supposed to be, but here we are. Right. Well, Joe, you're also covering baseball for us. It's the first year that baseball has been back in the Olympic program in two Olympics. Um, it will not be there in 2024. First of all, I mean, we're all baseball people on, on, on this pod. How great is it to see baseball back in the Olympic program? It is, it is great. And it's um, like, I love this team um, because it's this mix of like the, the wet behind the ears, 20 something mm -hmm. hoping for the shot at the big leagues one day. And so like to them, like this, this is like, this is like the biggest game they've ever played in. But then team USA also has a handful of guys who played in the big leagues forever and they're, they're out of the league now. And so this is kind of like their last shot at glory. And, and they are so happy to be there and they're so open with the younger players. They'll, they'll talk to you anytime they, you want them um, and they'll open up. And so I am really into this. I'm really into the tournament overall. Um, and it's, you know, the World Baseball Classic is awesome, but the, the existence of that shouldn't cancel out Olympic baseball either. Yeah, I mean, we got we got some names on there like Todd Frazier and Scott Casimir that, uh, you know, it's been a minute since we've seen them in a in a major league game. But then we've also got I mean, I'm so fascinated by Eddie Alvarez, who is already an Olympic medalist in speed skating, short track speed skating. I think like I, I, I'm a, I'm a former figure skater myself. I'm trying to explain to people just how wild it is that this dude is so good at these two particular extremely different sports like baseball and speed skating. It's, it, I mean, it is an insane story. Uh, like just, it, just the, the depths of like, what it takes to be a speed skater and the skills involved with that. And then like what it does to your lower half, like your, mm -hmm. like how it kind of, your body's like disproportionate um, because of like the muscles that are, that are used and the stress that's put on your knees. And then to be able to reach the level that he reached uh, as a silver medalist, like point something seconds from winning a gold um, on that relay in Fort in 2014, to become, um, to reach the big leagues in, in, a, in a sport where you have to hit a 90 plus mile an hour round ball mm -hmm. uh, with a round bat, and you have to try to hit it square. I mean, it's supposed to be the hardest thing to do in sports. And, and, and he was able to, to become a professional at that after years of being an Olympic athlete in a different sport. It's, it's, it's incredible. And it's one of the finest stories. I mean, obviously it's such a good story that team USA had no choice, but to make him one of two flag bears. Right. And what I always love about baseball is that when you get to know baseball players, they have some of the most unique random <laughs> stories. And to me, that's right up there with just some of just the crazy things you get to know baseball players. And 
some of the stories they tell. So it's not surprising that some of those vets would be guys who wouldn't mind talking about whatever, because you got some good vets over there. You really do. I mean, you know, Kavitha mentioned some of them, like Todd Frazier. Um, I had a, 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 an interview with one of the younger guys today that's going to run very soon. That was, he was talking about what it's like to have Todd play in third base while you're trying to pitch and, and how he's constantly in your ear and in a positive way. Um, you know, uh, Edwin Jackson is on this team. He has yeah. pitched, he has played for more teams than anyone in major league history. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had a hell of a career, super long career. He's on this team. You mentioned Scott Casimir. He was actually a late ad. He was not on the qualifying version of this team. Um, he re- replaces Homer Bailey, who, um, a little bit different personality than Scott, but as far as like experience goes, kind of similar. Um, and then uh, David Robertson is on this team. I mean, he's got 120 saves, 20 big league saves, I think, 120 big league saves from the Yankees and Phillies, you know. And so th- that's kind of how this team is. Like there's this mix of guys who are just about done and then uh, these guys who are still waiting for their shot. I was extremely surprised to learn that this is the first year the Dominican team has actually qualified for the Olympics in baseball. Now that they've, they've been in the Olympics before in 84 and 92 as, as invites, but they didn't actually qualify through tournaments. How is that possible <laughs> with, with the <laughs> level of player that we know, obviously, in, in major league? them all in the major leagues. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You know, I didn't know that either. I, I have no explanation for this. This is that's crazy. Yeah, fair enough. And I'm always so mad. You know, the rationale for taking baseball and softball out of the Olympic program was that it's not a global enough sport, which makes me extremely angry because you're basically telling all of like Latin America and East Asia that <laughs> they don't count, <laughs> or like Australia and the Netherlands, they don't count as as global. Um but yeah, this this should be fun, Joe. I know that you 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 only have guarantees to see the sports that you're that you're covering. But what are some of the other events? You know, we've got skateboarding and surfing for the first time ever. What are some of the other events that you know once you you've got your day job part of it over that you're looking forward to seeing? Well, I have a lame answer for you, um, but it's 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 part of the day job uh, because of the athletic has a vertical for this. Um, but I'm going to cover some of the golf, and mm. I cannot wait for that. I'm I'm super excited to um, to 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 be in a situation where you can be inside the ropes. I hope we can, um, or at least being able to walk in any way, shape, or form. And there there is no crowd. There's no gallery, and so being that up close with no distraction, like to some of the best golfers in the world, I think is going to be awesome. I can't wait for that. Um, just like, as far as like sort of more of what you mean, um, I, I like having watched all these Olympics on TV. Like I do, I would like to be in the pool on a, on a super electric night. Um, and, and I, and I wouldn't mind being in the stadium for like the, the four by one relay or, or, or something like that. I think that would be cool. Um, but it's just, these are, like I said, these are different times. Uh, you know, the opening ceremony didn't have anybody at it. Uh, the, none of these sports have anything at it. And it's just, this is much less about experience and much more about getting the work done this time. Right. And obviously we've got some, some really fun American men on, on Team USA for the golf. We've got Colin Morikawa um, and Xander Shuffley, Patrick Reed replacing Bryson DeChambeau. Um, finally, Joe, is, is this overblown, the threat of the Olympics being canceled because of COVID? What's the feeling from people on the ground about that as a possibility? Oh, I don't think it's any possibility. Um, and I don't think it ever was. I mean, there's just too much money spent mm-hmm. and they can't, I mean, you know, I think if it was up to the country of Japan, I, I don't know that, that we would be having these Olympics, but you know, the IOC is who makes that call and they were never considering canceling <laughs> and, uh, you know, NBC has something to say about it and, and certainly, um, you know, the, the hundreds of other rights holders throughout the world, these major broadcast corporations, like, 
yeah, they paid a bunch of money for that, for this. And, um, you know, we've shown that the virus is manageable in so many other sports, not only in America, but around the globe. And I think there was an expectation that the same ideas would be in place here to, to keep it at bay. And so, um, you know, we're, we're just getting started. We got two full weeks to go, but, um, you know, I, 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 I don't see any way that, uh, I there's a better chance I would say of this typhoon that is mm. off the coast of, of Japan. It's uh, off to the East. That's supposed to make landfall. That would be more of a threat, um, to the, to the, the long-term, uh, viability of, of the 2020 games than I think the virus at this point. Right. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, stay safe. We can't wait to hear from you in the next two weeks. Uh, can't wait to see what Joe Varden after two weeks on a popcorn diet looks like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, looking forward to the coverage and kind of jealous that you're there. But yeah. All right. Well, I'll take that to heart. That's right. Like it's, it's still a great assignment. And um, I love being on with you guys today. So thanks for uh, thanks for fitting me into into your schedule uh, or, or shaping your schedule to fit this uh, very different uh, time zone that I'm in. No man, thank you. Um. Thanks for listening to Culture Calculus this week on three different time zones, L.A., New York, and Tokyo. Thanks to Joe Varden for joining us. For Jason Jones, I'm Kavitha Davidson at The Athletic. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.